This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. What's up, Chad? How you doing? I'm doing okay. How about you? I'm well. Just uh, another day at An American Workplace. <laughs> yeah, we're approaching Easter weekend. Uh, I've got Friday off. I don't know about you. Uh, nope. <laughs> but I'm I'm looking forward to tomorrow, Thursday, being my fake Friday for the week. <laughs> nice. Yeah, I actually had Monday through Wednesday off this week. I had today off, oh. um, which was nice, but I work all weekend, so including Easter. Yeah. Um, oh, that's no good. Yeah. But I saw you went to the opera, right? Yeah. I went to the opera yesterday. Yeah. Uh, we saw Cosi Fantute, and it was incredible. It was set in 1950s Coney Island, which was really cool. Um, it was at the uh-huh. Met, so the spectacle was ridiculous it was beautiful so so with the more modern setting do they go to english libretto or do they stick with the italian no it was all italian um i guess you wouldn't expect the met to switch to english uh thankfully no. I, was kinda, <laughs> I was kind of worried that they would um but no it was all in italian um cool. kelly o'hara actually played uh despina which was really cool and i totally forgot that she was in it so oh that's really neat i, I yeah. i'm not super familiar with her but uh i, I have the a cast recording of uh, South Pacific with yeah, her. Yeah, that's her. So now that we've lost cool. all of our listeners um. <laughs> <laughs> on Broadway. <Yeah. laughs> oh man. Okay. Uh, back to the office. We have a new review, an iTunes review from Baby Eskimo Kisses. Thank you so much for uh, taking some time to write some nice words. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And big news going into this episode. We launched our Patreon last week. You know, we ran a survey for a few weeks, sort of getting everybody's thoughts and opinions on uh, the next step forward for the show. And this is it. So there are four different levels that give you uh, varying levels of access to bonus content. And it starts at $1 a month. And that's sort of the all access pass, uh, essentially, because that gives you a sticker with our logo. And once we have a few subscribers will send them out all at the same time so uh well you'll get it but it might just take a little bit once we've gotten a few people sign up you also get access to our planning document and discussion notes which is what i'm reading from right now uh and you'll get that ahead of time in fact if you go to patreon right now it's available now for you to look at and then we will be releasing bonus episodes. In fact, we're going to record our first one right after we finish recording episode 36 and that will be available Friday. Uh, the day after this episode is actually posted. And we don't know exactly what the schedule for these bonus episodes are going to be just because it is extra effort. Uh, we might aim for a weekly to begin with uh, because we've already got some ideas for what to do for these first few weeks. But eventually it may become once or twice, probably twice a month. I, I wouldn't see us falling below that. But uh, if we can do weekly, we absolutely will. So all those things waiting for you on Patreon. The link is going to be in our show notes, and we hope you go over and offer what you think the the extras are worth. And any additional extras you want to see as well. Uh, we are definitely looking for ideas of things to add. So uh, several of you have already included some uh, bonus features that you'd like to see, uh, but as always, reach out either at that Patreon link, on social media, send us an email. Uh, really, any way you can get a hold of us, just let us know what you want to see, because that's what we want to do. Yeah, again, we're looking for audience interaction, and the Patreon is just a way for our more dedicated listeners to uh, have a little bit more of a hands-on interactivity with us. And uh, that being said, just one last touching point on this. This show isn't changing. This is still going to be weekly. This is still going to be free. This isn't going to change whatsoever if you don't feel like paying anything. So no worries there. This is just for those of us who want a little bit extra on the side. That's what she said. So (laughs) uh, one last uh, side item before we go into our actual discussion. Um, I wanted to point out, I I was preparing last week's episode for release and we talked about dinner party and I realized, oh, this is the first episode that they released after a five month break in the show because they had the writer's strike going on. So between the deposition and dinner party, a lot of time passed, uh, presumably in the show as well. And so there had been a lot of time for that relationship between Jan and Michael after 
failing in that lawsuit uh, to to fester and to just get worse and worse and worse. And that's why the tensions in dinner party were so high. So I thought that was worth noting uh, and just wanted to say that before we dive into chair model. So it was between the deposition and dinner party, right? Okay. Right. I yeah, I think, uh, yeah, deposition, I think, was released in November of 2007. And then uh, dinner party was released in April of 2008. There was one thing I wanted to talk about while we're on the, the, the discussion of a timeline. I know we're way before deleted scenes, but there was a deleted scene um, where Michael says he spent between a month and six weeks at Dwight's place. And that deleted scene was with the episode we're about to talk about. It was with Chair Model. So I'm trying to figure out where that would have fallen. Um between dinner party and the, and chair model, possibly there were six weeks to a month um, between those two episodes. Yeah, that's what it seems like, uh, which it wasn't a time break I had ever considered. But yeah, it sort of makes sense that Jan would have left her things there for a little bit. Michael sort of would have let her just stay. Like, I don't want to mess with that. And then eventually she leaves. Um, and so Michael goes back, but it was a, a four to six week time period where Michael apparently stays with Dwight. Right. Cool. Okay. Uh, trying to get that clear in my head, but um, yeah, something to keep in mind that it just got worse and worse for Jan and Michael <laughs> and uh, sort of ended up at the dinner party with just even more time of, of awful relationship under their belt. Now, getting into tonight's discussion, we are talking about Chair Model, which is episode 14 of season four. It aired on April 17th of 2008. That's my grandfather's birthday, by the way. Uh, it was directed yeah. by Jeffrey Blitz and written by BJ Novak or Ryan in the show. Michael is supposed to pick a new chair. He promised Pam his old one, but he cannot possibly accomplish this task because he has fallen in love with the Chair Model in the catalog. So Michael asks the employees of Dunder Mifflin to set him up with their friends using the woman from the catalog as a, quote, template. Dwight, however, decides that Michael shouldn't have to settle for someone he doesn't really want. He will find the chair model for Michael. And he did. But she's dead. So <laughs> Pam suggests Michael uh, meet her landlady, a sweet woman who Pam thinks actually might be a good match for Michael. They meet up and Michael is, let's just say, not so taken with her. The search continues, Michael finds no one, and they end up at the grave of the chair model singing a butchered version of Bye Bye Miss American Pie by Don McLean. The fact that Michael falls in love, and I put that in air quotes, the biggest of air quotes, with this chair model based on a photo alone and then makes assumptions about her personality and about a potential future together... Honestly, it's kind of creepy <laughs> because he knows nothing about her aside from what he looks like. Um, he he says to the camera, I think what I meant was that I'm completely swearing off one woman. Actually, he doesn't say that to the camera. I think he says that to Pam. Uh, it just goes to show that Michael is still fighting loneliness and really desperately needs or at least desperately wants a partner. Yeah, I thought that was really creepy, too. Um and of course, the timeline plays a part here because if you don't realize the gap, or even if it is, here's, here's where the timeline means a lot to me. Because if Dinner Party was just an episode ago, which could be, you know, a week, um, or it could be a few months, um, he, quote, fell in love so soon after Jan. So if the Dinner Party was just a month ago, that's not a whole lot of time, but he's, you know... A hopeless romantic it's michael so surely he has fallen deeply in love with this woman whose picture he has seen once he he says he likes being single because it offers possibilities and each day he gets a little more desperate and desperation yields the quickest results <laughs> <laughs> and we see his levels of desperation he asks uh kevin at some point to set him up with someone and Kevin says, you know, if I had someone to set you up with Michael, then I'd take her for myself. And uh, Michael apparently didn't know about Stacy and him breaking up. And so he says something about that. And th then later he announces to the office, you know, dating shouldn't be hard for someone like me. Uh, I don't know what he's trying to imply, but uh, 
I, I have some questions. He says, but it is. And you know why? Because nobody here is willing to help me. And I just don't think that's why. <laughs> He's like suggesting that finding a partner is a group activity. <laughs> like It's generally, you know, up to the two people in the relationship. And yeah, sometimes, you know, you're in a slump and you talk to a friend. Hey, do you have anybody to set me up with? I want to be in a relationship. But generally, it's kind of up to you. I want to give him credit because he thinks highly of himself in a good way sometimes. Yeah, in a bad way at other times. But here he says, you know, I'm worth it. I I deserve to have somebody there for me. And I don't disagree with him. But Michael is Michael. I don't think he should change or maybe maybe he should filter a little bit. But he shouldn't change in order to get a girlfriend that he deserves and she deserves him as well. Uh, his problem is that I don't think he knows exactly what love is because he falls into his version of it too easily, probably because of that desperation and this fear of dying alone. And he just wants to play ball with his kids. And before that, he has to get laid. And before that, he has to fall <laughs> in love. And so if he could just figure out what love is, then maybe he stands a chance of finding somebody, but no luck so far. I had that line written down in my funny moments. The, <laughs> I just want to play ball with my kid, but first I have to get laid. And I wrote, well, he's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, uh, he but put before it kind of crassly. But yeah, but before yeah, that, but he before has to that, fall in love, which is... So uh, he's sort of got the order correct. He sort of does. And um, <laughs> that's important. That's a good first step. But Michael falling in love, like you said, it's, it's any time an attractive woman walks in the room, he's in love. Uh, we saw that with Katie, the hot girl um, purse sales lady. Mm-hmm. We saw that with, oh, I can't think of others, but I'm sure there are. Um, anytime there's an attractive woman, he's in love. Uh, and so many times we hear him say, like, I think she's the one. I, I think I found her. And uh, season four, and he hasn't found her yet. So No. It's funny. I just rewatched Anchorman earlier this week. Uh, and there's that one scene where... Uh, after Ron and Veronica have slept with each other, th- I'm not spoiling anything majorly, uh, but there's the scene where he's in the, the room with the news team and they're asking him what love is like because they've never experienced it before. Ron says, you really want to know what it's like? And uh, Steve Carell's character, Brick, says, more than anything in the world, Ron. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't help but think about it while watching because I just watched it the night before I, I did my prep. Oh, Anchorman. I, I, I need to revisit that one. It's got so many of the greats in it. Yeah, it, it, it's, he just wants to know what love is. <laughs> I wanted to kind of tag on to that, um, regarding Michael anyway, that he tells Pam that he's looking for, an, for a uh, passionate affair, not companionship. Because Pam sets Michael up with Margaret, her landlady, who is a very sweet woman, very soft-spoken, um... They meet for coffee, and Michael is just so not into her. Um, But at their date, Michael's talking with Margaret and saying, I just want somebody to share life with, to share experiences with, to talk to, to come home to. How is that so hard for us? And they kind of bond over it, and it kind of looks like it might be heading in the right direction, and then Michael, of course, butchers it. But then he goes back and tells Pam, I'm looking for a passionate affair, not companionship. Well, that's not love. So I think I agree with you. His um, his idea of what love is is skewed. Speaking of that date in particular, before he meets with her, he, he says, our suspect has straight brown hair. She's wearing blue jeans and a black top. So he looks around and he sees a woman that he finds attractive. And he says, behold, our bachelorette. And it's a blonde woman in a skirt. And he says, I'll give her a 10 for looks and a three for her ability to describe herself. He's so surface level. (laughs) He's so surface level. He looks for the hotness he's wanting rather than sticking to the description given to him. That would tell him exactly who he's looking for. So this was a part of a larger problem where he required everybody to submit an eligible woman for woman for him to date by the end of the hour or they're fired, which is probably not legal. Uh, but we see Toby. Uh, the camera shows him for a brief second and Toby doesn't do anything. And in fact, there's a deleted scene where Toby says, well, technically what he's doing isn't against any sort of community uh, handbook or something like, that. <laughs> you know, it's it, it's ridiculous. He, he's coming up with excuses why he didn't step in. Um, but yeah, he's just not in the right place mentally still. 
um, what he had with Jan was more real than what he's seeking with any of these other women, and especially than what he has with his chair model. Um, he, I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about Michael. I, I feel badly for him because I understand his want for companionship, but he just doesn't know how to find it. And um, just a little plug for Dwight, I guess, that we're, we've seen phases of Dwight and kind of wondered where his loyalty lies. But here he sides with Michael and says, you know, you deserve the person that you're looking for. You don't deserve a, you know, offhand version of that. So he goes through the effort and tries to find and does find um, where this model is. And even seems to find the graveyard where she's buried. Uh, so he definitely <laughs> exhausts his resources. Um, all for Michael, which is creepy, but sweet. Yeah, he says you shouldn't have to settle for less than the woman you want. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, good, for, good on Dwight. But then when he ever, whenever he finds out that she died, he treats it like, oh, yeah, I'm a detective. I just solved this mystery. She's died. Case closed. Boom. And he's almost proud when he tells Michael that because, hey, I found your chair model lady. And, well, she's dead, but, hey, I found her. Um, the, the only other smaller thing I had to say about Dwight, just because it doesn't belong in my funny section, because it's not funny, uh, when they go to the cemetery at the end of the episode and they're approaching the chair model's tombstone, he hops around on the grave markers. And I'm like, Dwight, that's, that's not cool. It's sort of like there's superstitions around that. It's not respectful. Uh, so he... he can have this sort of reverence for what Michael is wanting and goes through the effort to give Michael more or less what he wants. Um, but then he goes to a graveyard and steps around on gravestones and doesn't know how to behave properly. Yeah, I, uh, I technically put that in my funny moment section only because I didn't know where else to put it. Um, yeah. Because it's just like, oh, come on. Yeah, like, um, no, don't no. do that. <laughs> Uh, and right before they head to the graveyard, Dwight suggests that Michael needs closure from a woman that affected Michael greatly uh, and that left before he could say goodbye. And we're all thinking, Jan, right? He needs closure from Jan. But no, Dwight drives him to the graveyard so he can have closure with the model, which, as Jim says, you've never met her. You need to yeah. calm down. I mean, it's really kind of obsessive and creepy <laughs> yeah he he talks about not having the chance to say goodbye they didn't have the chance to say hello they never met right <laughs> <laughs> um so sort of tangential to all of this is the small sort of pam and jim storyline where after pam has set michael up with her landlady things don't go well uh jim and her are joking around and jim says well seems like you just got kicked out of your apartment and uh, Jim says, well, you're a slob, so who are you going to live with? Where are you going to go? She says, well, I might move in with my boyfriend. He's kind of also a slob. Uh, and he says, well, let's do it. Sounds good. She says, but only if they're engaged. And Jim says, oh, have I not proposed to you yet? And he says, well, that's coming. So big news there. That's like a huge development. This is only we we called it the 14th episode but really it's more like seven or eight because we had so many double episodes at the start of the season so things have seemingly pro, uh, progressed pretty quickly even if it has been six to seven months or so um but that that's huge that jim is apparently planning on proposing and we think he might be joking and pam seems to think he might be joking but he shows us the ring he says, got it a week after we started dating. So A week after. That's, ah, uh, I have to admit, I look like a fool every time these scenes come up. I'm just like smiling huge. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's so cute. Um, yeah. And, and the fact that he got it a week after they started dating is just so telling because he always knew mm -hmm. that it was Pam. Yeah. And he always knew he wanted to be with her. And it's, he didn't need long to decide. I mean, he knew that he wanted to marry her before she agreed to go out on a date with him. That was never the question. Um, mm -hmm. So it's just, it's just really good. It's just cute. Yeah. <laughs> That's what certainty looks like. Yeah, so, exactly. Uh, at the end of the episode, they're walking along, uh, and this will sort of serve as a transition to the, the final story part of the episode. Uh, they're walking back to their car at the end of the day, 
and he teases Pam. He drops to one knee just suddenly as they're having conversation. And he looks up, says, Pam, will you please wait for me while I tie my shoe? <laughs> and she <laughs> is visibly upset because it looks for a second like he's proposing. And uh, he, he was clearly messing with her. He says, oh, wait, you, you thought I was? Oh, no. <laughs> I, I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess a tiny little um, side story, which would explain why they're walking to their car. Um, the one of the other office park tenants, uh, uh, gosh, I'm blanking on the name still. Um, uh, W.B. Jones. W.B. Jones. Yes. One of the construction um, groups in the office park is having some construction done and um, their construction guys are parking in the parking lot in front of Dunder Mifflin. And so everyone has to park in a satellite lot like 10 minutes away. And so they have to take a little walk. And um, much to Kevin specifically, really doesn't like it. And he doesn't like it. Um, yeah, that kind of just explains their little walk. But not, not a huge side storyline. No, it's not huge. But I, I did want to highlight the moment where uh, Kevin and Andy are successful in meeting with the the five families, as they call it. They make it sound like some sort of gangster ring, like right. <laughs> oh, this is a big deal. Uh, but they they meet with them and they get their spots back because Kevin doesn't like walking. Um, <laughs> so to just put it mildly, he doesn't like walking that far, and he has split up with Stacy and so he's gone through some personal life issues and he's having to walk further to work when he's not comfortable doing so. And they finally get their spots back and Kevin has his talking head and he says, you know, things were tough and there've been some other issues in my life, but it's nice to win one. And he just, he looks so genuinely content in that moment. Like, look, I finally won something. I, I finally got something good to happen in my life. And you can't help but feel sort of warm and fuzzy watching Kevin feeling warm and fuzzy with his victory, however small. Right. He seemed genuinely like he was going to say something really upsetting right before that. Um, so mm -hmm. especially given Stacy, it's, it's nice to see him happy. Funny moments? Yeah. Let's do it. Regarding the walk to the... Uh, satellite lot there's just one that makes me laugh where andy says oh, i left my cell phone in my car he kind of realizes um <laughs> at his desk and all phyllis says is all right call us when you get there so we know you made it okay <laughs> it's just um like they make this huge deal about it's what half a mile tops i think is the the biggest number somebody gives um it's not a long walk um 10 minutes and it's just such an inconvenience to everyone um, when Michael is trying to console Kevin uh, after he finds out about the breakup, which, like I said, we knew a while ago, but uh, he misspeaks and says, you don't deserve her. <laughs> I, I don't think he <laughs> meant to say it that way. Maybe, well, I mean, maybe that's what he was thinking, but he probably meant the other way around. And then shortly after that, he calls Oscar, Oscar Meyer Wiener lover, which made me really laugh <laughs> just uh, as a small sort of uh, side comment. And then he, this one made me cringe. He refers to Oscar's, quote, condition <laughs> as right. he's trying to find out if maybe, you know, being a gay guy, he has some uh, friends who he's the gay best friend of, some attractive young women or something like that. And he refers to your condition. Not, I, I, I don't think a lot of people would take well to that. You would never touch them because of your condition, right? Yeah. Uh, Michael, um, Gets a few names to be set up with, um, including Kevin's friend Wendy, who is a hot and juicy redhead. So he calls Wendy and turns out it's a Wendy's <laughs> restaurant. Um, and then after that, Pam has somebody she might want to set, set Michael up with, happens to be the uh, landlady. Michael asks, what's your name, Burger King? <laughs> <laughs> I, I love he says damn it Kevin and then he tries to order uh, his, his uh, Wendy's on the phone and, right he wants uh, a baked potato says, and a frosty <laughs> yeah and she says you have to come here he said well I, I will but uh, you can set it aside for me or something like that uh, when's like, it going to be ready it's ready now <laughs> it's, it's ready now it's a fast food restaurant <laughs> um, 
but the the other name that is mentioned, or we don't get a name actually, but Phyllis says, you know, I've got a friend who plays professional softball. And the the sort of line of questioning that Michael goes through always makes me laugh, even though it's awful. He says, is she a catcher or does she play infield? Is she a dress wearer or a pants wearer? <laughs> and then finally, could she fit in an average size rowboat? Would a rowboat hold her? Would she fit in a rowboat without it capsizing? And Phyllis just finally asked him, no, she wouldn't fit in a rowboat. And Michael just gets so upset. Damn it, Phyllis. <laughs> and it, it, it's, it's so awful, but it always makes me laugh. Would she fit in a rowboat? Like, can you not just be direct with your line of questioning, Michael? Speaking of being set up, Stanley can't think of anyone that he hates enough to write down their name on Michael's card. <laughs> that was what he said. Uh, he just can't think of anyone that he would want to subject to Michael. When Kevin and Andy approach Michael about the parking space issue, Michael says, well, look, I've got an assigned parking place in front. So, and then he says, okay, well, let me see, let me try to think about what it would be like to not have one. So he pauses, closes his eyes for a moment, and he's like, okay, yes, that, that, would, that would be bad. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they, then he says, well, I'm not going to help you. I think it would be good for you guys to do this yourself. And that does end up being a good thing for Kevin. He feels like he had a little bit of a victory, uh, but... Uh, leading into that, Michael says, wish I could, but I can't. Well, can, but won't. Should, maybe, but shorn't. And Michael <laughs> says, or Kevin says, Michael, please help. Michael says, what part of shorn't don't you understand, Kevin? Uh, uh, there's a lot of things I don't understand about shorn't, to, to be honest. <laughs> uh, we get a little Creed nugget this episode. So Pam was going to get Michael's old chair. Um, and when Pam gets Michael's old chair, Creed gets Pam's old chair. However, Creed is not giving away his current chair. He will then have two chairs. He says, then I'll only have one to go. <laughs> uh, so he wants three <laughs> chairs for something. Um, we'll just leave that to be determined, I guess, because who knows? Um, Michael has a quote where he says, no question about it. I am ready to get hurt again. <laughs> <laughs> like... That's another problem with his approach to love, even though it's a funny line. There is an option without hurt. Like you can find a happy relationship where you're not going to get hurt again. Uh, right. He just seems a little eager for things to go wrong because he's rushing into these things that aren't real. Um, and I mean, I guess that just shows his previous experience. But still, like go into it with a little bit more optimism. See if you can find a real connection with somebody so you don't get hurt. But whatever. Um. At his date with Margaret, the landlady, he orders a hot chocolate with a shot of caramel and a shot of peppermint, which <laughs> independently, I think either of those sound just fine. Um, but I can't imagine a grocer order. No, that, that does not sound like it <laughs> would mix very well. In that first scene where Michael is pointing out the chair model to Pam, uh, she's really snarky and it makes me laugh a lot. <laughs> uh he, he says, look, look at her. And he points to the chair model. She says, oh, the one in the really great mesh black high backs uh, swivel. F uh, goodness, I just butchered that. The one in the really great mesh black high back swivel chair. Like, that's obviously the more important thing. And Michael says, do you remember after my dinner party when I said I was swearing off women? Pam says, I definitely remember your dinner party. <laughs> <laughs> and then one last one, Michael says, I think fate put this catalog in my hands. Pam says, actually, I put the catalog in your hand because you have to pick out a new chair. <laughs> <laughs> I love bold Pam. She's getting a little bit just stronger with every season, and she's just great now, especially. Um, Agreed. There was one last thing, and I, I know I've been saying this a lot recently, but I guess because I'm doing the podcast and I'm watching really intentionally now, but I noticed this for the first time as I was watching today. Um, Michael's wallet, he pulls it out at the coffee shop. Did you notice the wallet? Because no. I never did before. It's got pink, like, rhinestones all around the border of it. <laughs> really? And it made me laugh really hard. Um, yeah, oh. he, like, pulls out some cash or something, and it's hilarious. Go back and catch that. Yeah, I, I do need to go back and catch that. And on the, uh, a, another thing that I hadn't noticed before, when 
Kevin and Andy approach Michael about assembling the five families. They're in the, the kitchen area. And Michael is brushing his teeth, preparing for the date with Margaret. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't spit anything out. So I was wondering, did he swallow his toothpaste? Like, did he just like, oh, well, I'm done, gulp, and it's gone? <laughs> or was he brushing just without toothpaste and effectively doing nothing? <laughs> you know? He didn't cut away at any time? No, it looked like he just walked straight out of the kitchen rather than going to the sink. And so unless he was going, I, I don't think he was going to the bathroom, but uh, he was talking while brushing his teeth and all of a sudden he just leaves like he's going back to his <sighs> office. <laughs> I'm hoping that was an editing thing and not that he'd swallow <laughs> I know people do uh, it, though. Ugh. Yeah, ew, no, thank Ugh. you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, one last thing. At the end of the episode, Andy talking about their victory as he's sort of doing some weird dancing thing in the parking lot as the construction guys move. He says, did I do this for me? No, I did this for the little guy, for Joe Sixpack. The guy who wakes up every morning in his $400 a month apartment, wonders how he's going to pay his mortgage that month, wonders how he's going to fill his car up with oil, wonders how I'm going to pay my kids' orphanage bills. That guy shouldn't have to wonder where he's going to park. And there's multiple contradictions in there. If you're paying a $400 a month apartment, you don't have a mortgage, I would assume, right? Right. <laughs> um, if you're you're not you don't fill up your car with oil, you fill up your car with gasoline. Oil is like a one time thing and you replace it every once in a while. So that doesn't make sense either. And then lastly is how he's going to pay for his kids' orphanage bills. Why is your kid living in an orphanage? <laughs> you're not paying the bill for yeah. an orphanage, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andy's just not thinking clearly. I I don't know. He's trying to make himself into this this grand heroic character. I did this for the little guy, but none of the other things he says make sense. No commentary this episode, but we did have some deleted scenes, um, just like a couple I wanted to mention, one of which p- kind of piggybacks off of what I mentioned at the very beginning. Michael has spent, uh, he says, a month, but Dwight says six weeks at Dwight's, um, I keep wanting to call it a B&B, but it's not. Dwight would be <laughs> mad at me. Uh, Dwight's right. <laughs> residence um, hotel, if you will. Um, So Mm -hmm. that answers my question about the timeline a little bit. Um, Michael thought Dwight was doing him a favor and letting him stay there just as a friend, but Dwight was charging him for six weeks in a hotel. Uh, So six weeks in the America room, which Dwight was just aghast that Michael would pick the America room because it's clearly the most popular room and in an election election year. year. (laughs) (laughs) Michael says, you know what? That's fine. It's fine. This was all a business transaction. Um, so all the slumber parties and the bonding and the friendship, don't worry about it. It was not friendship. It was business. Dwight looks like he's about to cry and rips up oh. Michael's bill. <laughs> and then he says, yeah, we didn't accept debit cards anyways. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that same exchange, Michael says that, you know, the reason he was staying there is because Jan was still at his place. But now Jan is staying with her sister in Scottsdale. And I just wanted to to question, that is Jan's go-to lie, as we have right. seen previously. I'm visiting my sister in Scottsdale. So do we think she's actually with her sister this time? Or is she somewhere else? I don't know where else she would be. I just wanted to throw the question out there. And we don't have to linger on it. But I was right. like, you know... She's never told the truth about visiting her sister in Scottsdale so far. I'm not convinced that there is a sister in Scottsdale. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. There's also uh, the deleted scene where Pam is having difficulty hearing the phone over the sound of Kevin's foot tub massager. That's a long time flashback from the season two episode Christmas party when uh, Kevin drew himself for Secret Santa and got himself a foot bath. Yeah, big, big throwback. Props to the uh, writers for bringing that one back in. Yeah, I, I really enjoy seeing s- smaller things like that in the deleted scenes. Um, Michael comes to Kelly and asks her if she has any friends that she could set him up with. She says, uh, well, first of all, all my friends are crazy. And she says, oh, my friend Brianna. <laughs> and Michael says, oh, that sounds crazy. That sounds so fun. Kelly didn't say anything. Um, and... Michael immediately asks, well, is she single? Kelly says, oh, you know what? She's 23. Like, she's too young for you. But you know what? My friend's parents are all getting divorced. So maybe the older <laughs> ladies would uh, would want to go out on a date with you. And Michael just storms off. 
he doesn't want to be set up with anybody's parents. Right. <laughs> I don't. He he's he's at his too low for himself. He would much rather the twenty three year old than the than her mom. <laughs> As I mentioned, Toby weighed in uh, with the talking head. You know, forcing your employees to set up or set you up is uh, tech not a technical violation of any Dunder Mifflin rule. But, you know, neither is forcing them to help you with a shot-by-shot remake of Indiana Jones. How do you make a rule book like that? <laughs> so he's sort of lamenting that he he feels like he can't say anything to Michael. But I think, again, he's also still trying to make excuses a little bit so he doesn't have to confront Michael. And there just isn't a rule book that you could write that would encompass every rule that Michael's going to break. It's just <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not going to happen. That was actually it for me. Um, the other deleted scenes that I can think of didn't have a whole lot of content. Um, do you have any others? Uh, just one. Uh, there's an extended version of the date scene with Margaret. And she she talks about how Pam is nice and the guy she's dating is nice. And Michael interrupts, says, you know, yeah, I know. I know Jim's nice because he's my best friend and he works for me. And I set them up in the first place. Well, that's wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Margaret says, oh, well, that's good matchmaking. Michael says, yeah. And this is how Pam repays me um, with a good date. <laughs> he, right. he tries to save himself and just butchers it. Oh, he. Even in the episode, and we didn't really go into the date a whole lot, but um, he insults Margaret at the end of their coffee date by saying, oh, you know, I, I really enjoyed our conversation. It's like talking to the old nice lady on the bus. And it's yeah. just, oh. And she even says, that's incredibly rude. Like, you don't, you can call me nice without calling me matronly and like, just, <laughs> oh, it's very awkward. Terrible dating etiquette because he yeah. first lies about uh, who he is because it's not the woman that he thought it was. He's terrible at small talk. He brags about the looks of his ex and accidentally calls her too. He, he calls up Jan to show the picture and then Jan answers and he just hangs up the phone. Uh, but yeah, uh, one last thing he says, uh, which is such a Michael phrase because it's got the sort of sing song quality of the things he likes to do where he says, I'm an aspiring screenwriter and an inspiring boss. Like that's the, exactly <laughs> the kind of Michael turn of phrase that we're, we're used to. Anything else for chair model? Uh, only the discussion topic, which is just a, a brief fun little thing. I thought it'd be fun to wildly speculate on what Creed could be using three chairs for. <laughs> <laughs> any any fun ideas? You know, all I can think of is that it would be like some kind of like murder cover-up. I don't know how <laughs> or what, but like a decoy <laughs> chair placed some. I have no idea. Um, I don't know either. It, it probably would be something sinister like that. I was thinking I mean, like make a fort in my desk you know like i sit under it and then the chairs i i, I don't know it <laughs> that's that was my first thought actually which was like um dwight's super desk which we haven't gotten to yet but um that was kind of my first thought but knowing creed it would have to be something just morbid <laughs> I think Creed has the personality where it could be something as innocent as making a fort or it could be something as serious as uh, <laughs> hiding a murder or right. like what if he used like what if he needed three chairs to weight down a body to throw in the river or something right. like that. And it was just his <laughs> twisted mind where it had to be chairs to weigh them down. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> a- anytime we even get a line from Creed in an episode is a good episode. So. Agreed. We were lucky today. <laughs> and that's a good one. <laughs> uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next episode. So it's Night Out, episode 15. It aired on April 24th, 2008, directed by Ken Whittingham and written by Mindy Kaling. Ryan is requiring the Scranton branch, his favorite branch, to work on Saturday to enter sales they made over the phone, as sales made by the website, to, in his own words, increase the legitimacy of the website which has everyone understandably upset. Michael is still depressed at his lack of success in the dating game, and based on a side comment made by Ryan, he and Dwight travel to New York City to party at clubs with Ryan and to meet women. Back at Scranton, Jim came up with the idea of having everyone stay late to finish in putting sales on the website so that they didn't have to come in on Saturday, 
but he neglected to tell Hank, the security guard, that they'd be working late, so they become locked into the office park. So let's get started with this one. This is a bigger episode for Ryan, I think, than anybody. Um, We get a lot of Ryan and Michael this episode, and in New York City. Yeah, it's a little bit darker. It's not a whole lot happens in this episode, but there are just a couple of bigger revelations. Um, Michael is still struggling with the dating game, still no success. So maybe a little bit more time has passed since uh, the last episode. Um, But again, it's largely because he's seeking a level of beauty that is just too high. He blames it on men craving beauty and and not not blaming it on his own unreasonable expectations. He mentioned Cindy Crawford a few times, who's straight up a model, you know? Right. (laughs) Um, So like he, he says, it's not about the... The horniness, as he tells to Jim, it's about the loneliness, but he's still looking for this Cindy Crawford level of attractiveness that you you can't have it both ways. I mean, maybe if you're super duper lucky, you could have it both ways, but for that to be your baseline that you're looking for, you're just going to get disappointed. Yeah, he is, it's hard seeing him like this. Um, And in fact, he grabs Ryan for a hug, which Ryan is just not reciprocating. And Michael says, oh, I need a girlfriend so bad. And which is just not the thing to say when you, a you're hugging someone who or just anyone really hugging anyone um, and b hugging Ryan, who just really isn't quite Michael's friend anyway. Um, very inappropriate. Oh, and at work. <laughs> it's just all. And at dumb. work. <laughs> and with, with Ryan showing up, he appears to be different. In this episode, um, he still calls the branch his favorite branch. He's still playing buddy buddy with everybody, even though the only one who likes him is Michael. And he appears to be disheveled and unruly and more unkempt. So right off the bat, something appears to be wrong with Ryan. We don't know what it is. We don't really have any indication, but uh, he doesn't appear as well groomed. And he almost seems a little bit antsy in his talking heads when he's talking about how they're having to stay late and input sales in the website. Uh, Yeah, something's off. And that's all we know at the start. So Michael drives up to New York with Dwight and they meet Ryan. Well, this should be um, prefaced by Michael asking Ryan if he had any friends, any female friends in New York that Michael could uh, be set up with. Ryan says, oh, man, the girls in New York are crazy. Um, You wouldn't believe it unless you were there. Come up and party with me sometime. I think he was being super vague and actually not inviting Michael. But Michael, of course, took it as an invitation. So he and Dwight drive up to New York and kind of surprise Ryan at the club one day. (laughs) Um, How they got to know where Ryan was. Was that addressed? He said his assistant. Right. They, they got in contact with Ryan's assistant. So I don't know uh, exa- exactly how they got the assistant to divulge that information. <laughs> but but uh, yeah. that's how they found it. They, uh, they show up and Ryan doesn't seem to know who they are at first. He goes, oh, it's you guys. And Dw- Dwight and Michael are like, yeah, hey, how are you doing? It's, it's, it's Michael and Dwight. He goes, yeah, I, I know who you are. And it's just... He looks really on edge and very excited. And he actually seems excited to see them, which... Yeah, uncharacteristically excited. Right. He wouldn't actually be excited to have Dwight and Michael crash his night out. Just very, very weird and spazzy. Um, And then throughout the night, we see him like twitching and his fingers are drumming. And he he visits the restroom a number of times. Dwight, of course, says, you might have a bladder infection. Ryan says, yeah, maybe, dude. Um, (laughs) What one might surmise from this is that Ryan is probably on drugs. Um, And then, of course, at the end of the night, Ryan gets kicked out of a club for being really aggressive uh, towards some women. And Ryan's friend says, don't take him to the hospital. So I think we're confirmed he is on something super illegal. Yeah, and even if you weren't sure at that point, then Ryan straight up asks, hey, I think my friend Troy might have a drug problem. Right. What do I do? And when you ask about a friend like that, you're talking about yourself, <laughs> especially at least in this circumstance. Uh, but 
Michael offers some advice. He says, you know, here's what you do. You tell him that you're his friend and that you're going to help him and that everything's going to be all right. And then from there, he goes into an elaborate sort of plot from the wire about putting a wire on him so they can find out who sells his drugs and then turn him into a snitch to find out who the real bad guys are. Um, but that that first bit is helpful. And I think Ryan is momentarily comforted. You know, everything is going to be all right. Uh, we don't get any sort of closure to that. Uh, it, they just, it, it's the end of the night and they go to sleep. Uh, but yeah, Ryan is struggling. The, the New York lifestyle appears to have caught up to him. At least this style of New York lifestyle, the, the party lifestyle. Right. And he's a little worse for wear. Um, now, Michael, while they're at the club, he's still trying to get with some women. Uh, he's talking to one at first and she's too young. She doesn't, she's never seen or heard. She's never heard of Back to the Future. I was offended. Uh, <laughs> um, but then he's talking to another one and he thinks it's going well. He says, oh yeah, I'm a bank teller because Ryan told him to tell women that you work in finance. I, I don't think he meant bank teller. There's Just no... say I work in finance. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I work yeah. in finance or at least I, I'm an accountant or something that has a certain level of glamour aside from standing behind a glass window and handing people their money right. instead of having money of your own, you know? But he, he thinks things are going well because he's attracted to them, but then he sees uh, the, the women talking with other men, and so he realizes, yeah, this isn't working here either. Um, so Ryan's on drugs, partying hard, living an empty life, <laughs> and then Michael is still unsuccessful with women, but Dwight hits it off at least with the the college women's basketball team. <laughs> that was so funny to me. Yeah, they're waiting in line for one of the clubs um, after Michael has said, you know, this is like a sexy preschool. <laughs> um, he's feeling his age quite a bit today, I guess. Um, and all the women in the clubs are too young for him. So Ryan suggests that they go to a different club where there might be some older women or sorry, older girls as Michael um, clarifies. So they're waiting in line and they're standing behind this group of several very tall women who are part of the um, Jersey state. Was it basketball? Um, yeah. Volleyball, basketball team. And one of them is just so taken with Dwight. Um, she and Dwight end up like making out in the club and Michael takes a picture and she begs him to call her later. And Dwight says, no, nah, I'm not going to call her. Um, <laughs> <laughs> which, I mean, I guess knowing Dwight's history at this point, um, maybe not his type. I mean, she's gorgeous, but she's not tiny and blonde. So, um <laughs> <laughs> maybe not maybe not his type, but uh, he seemed to be doing very well. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Her sort of being the opposite of Angela in stature. Uh, that's a, a good point. Um, Dwight is also fascinated with the uh, with Ryan's friend, Troy. He says, you you resemble a Tolkien character. And Ryan says, yeah, he's a, a wizard with numbers or something to that effect, thinking he means Gandalf. And Dwight says, no, no, he, he reminds me of a hobbit <laughs> so, because he's short. He's a short guy. And so he, he asks several questions throughout the night. And this is more, I think this is actually my funny section, but that's okay. Uh, he, he asks, do you have powers? <laughs> the hobbits in the books and the movies don't have powers. So that's a silly question to ask if that's the assumption he's going on, but whatever, it's still funny. And then when he first meets the basketball women in line he says how did you all find each other <laughs> like how, how are all these tall women gathered in one place <laughs> he says amazons <laughs> <laughs> there's one thing i wanted to mention before we move on to funny moments um it's actually toby so as Ooh. yeah so as um the <laughs> office is kind of locked sort of in the vestibule or like a uh, lobby area of the office because they can't go back upstairs Pam locked them out of the office. Jim locked them into the parking lot. So they're kind of stuck between the parking lot and the uh, lobby. So they're all hanging out down there, just waiting to be let out. And um, Toby makes a joke. Pam laughs at it. And he puts his hand on her knee and kind of starts rubbing her knee. Um, and the entire office just kind of stares at him because at least we know that Toby has had a crush on Pam for quite a while. I don't know if the office knows, but it's it's awkward regardless. Um, mm -hmm. He kind of realizes what he's doing 
takes his hand off her knee and says, I'm moving to Costa Rica and hops the fence and runs home. <laughs> um, <laughs> which, which is sub- such an absurd moment. Like, right. yeah, I'm going to just hop the fence and jog home. Right. And I don't want to dig too far into that because that's actually my discussion topic. Um, mm-hmm. But I just wanted to throw that out there because that's just such a kind of a big moment for Toby. Um, not just the moving, but the uh, Pam thing, too. It's just, oh, it's so bad. Yeah. Uh, and just uh, talking a little bit about the situation at Scranton, um, Jim just thought he, he was proud of his idea. He says, you know, it this is a group that respects good ideas. And so they don't have to come in on Saturday anymore because they're getting everything done Friday. And so he sees himself as good footing on good footing with everyone because he saved them from working on Saturday. Then he forgets to tell the security guard they'd be working late. So that's locked. And Pam locked the door to Dunder Mifflin. They're locked in. Stanley says, you two work together on this one. (laughs) (laughs) And then also it's revealed that he was supposed to collect tips from everyone back uh, around Christmas time to give to Hank around Christmas, but he forgot. So Hank, they didn't even know his name. Uh, except Creed, by the way, which I think is telling since Creed has had problems with authority or police in the past, we assume, and Hank's the security guard. I just thought that was an interesting connection. But uh, yeah. Hank has no incentive to move quickly and to help them out. He He's just sort of moseying along, not in any rush. Uh, then to top, top the night off, as far as Jim and Pam not being on the good side of the office, Pam... Uh, throws a football directly into Meredith's face. And so she's now got a bruised cheek. It's it's not a good night for Jim and Pam as far as opinion in the rest of the office goes. Um, but they eventually get out. And I think that's all I wanted to say about it. I just wanted to say, you know, sort of the, the whole situation. Jim thought he did a good thing and then they just went south from there. Let's move on to some funny moments. Let's do it. So the cold open, um, Michael has somehow ended up with gum in his hair. He saw something shiny under a car and leaned down to grab it, um, kind of got on the ground to grab it, and turns out it was just a piece of tinfoil. Um, Jim says, well, best case scenario, you know, it was, it was a quarter. <laughs> um, <laughs> but of course, Michael gets gum in his hair as he's on the ground, and so Dwight puts peanut butter in his hair to get rid of the gum but he puts just a ridiculous amount of peanut butter and just ends up like giving him a head massage with peanut butter rather than using it to (laughs) get the gum out and he uses the good peanut butter uh much to pam's chagrin (laughs) yeah i I wanted to point out that he got the whole scalp covered as well because it's an absurd amount of peanut butter and not necessary at all right um (laughs) And the worst part is, like, Dwight is licking his fingers afterwards. It, it's, no, thank you. And, and he had pointed out how much dandruff Michael had. So, yeah, gross. Yeah. Um, in New York, Michael was telling that, that younger girl I mentioned about he wanted to get a Back to the Future tattoo on his back because, hey, it's on his back. Back to the Future, get <laughs> it? And because, you know, I'm a forward-thinking man. I'm always thinking about the future. And I think tattoo should mean something. <laughs> okay, if if that's what you want to justify it with, Michael, but still, <laughs> that line of thinking is flawed. <laughs> uh, when Ryan is in Scranton, he, they're, they're talking about the website and how they need to be, you know, inputting all of these sales back into the website, etc. And he asks uh, if anybody has any questions. Kelly makes a comment. He says, do you have a question, Kelly? Kelly says, yeah, I have a lot of questions. First of all, how dare you? Which <laughs> is um, a quote I use a fair amount. Um, not a lot of people, I guess, catch on to it unless they are office watchers, but it's it's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's a good gif as well. Yeah. First of all, how dare you? Number <laughs> how one, dare how you? dare you? <laughs> <laughs> when Michael and Dwight are first planning to go up to New York, uh, Andy tries to go along saying, you know, the, the old ball and chain has been more chain than ball recently, if you know what I mean. Angela says, I'm standing right here. But uh, Dwight gets Andy to stay behind by saying three is an unlucky number. <laughs> the curse of three. Right. Uh, that, that's not a thing at all. <laughs> the three, three is like... You know, three is a magic number. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> schoolhouse Rock, anybody? Or the Holy Trinity, anybody? Or right. any number 13. of things. Three. Yeah, 13 is very different. <laughs> but three, seven, both of those are considered pretty lucky 
pretty perfect numbers. So Michael believes him. Speaking of Dwight and Michael, they're on their way out. Michael says, everybody, I'll see you tomorrow, Saturday morning. Probably wearing the same clothes that I'm wearing right now, if you catch my drift. Angela says, yep, we get it. Michael says, I'm going to get laid. Goodbye. On their way out, Dwight says, with sex. (laughs) (laughs) Just making sure you all understand that Michael's going to get laid tonight. (laughs) Right. At the end of the night, as they're finally escaping the office park, the the cleaning ladies show up. And Jim brings Oscar, gestures along, and says, okay, as, as they're walking to the fence, okay, this is what you need to explain to them. Just tell them that we need to get out. We got locked in. Oscar is slightly offended that Jim assumes that they'll only speak Spanish. <laughs> but uh, after Oscar tries English first, it turns out Jim was right, and he has to talk to them in Spanish. Yeah. And he says, they just happen to speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> and Jim says, lucky us. <laughs> lucky us that you were here. Jim also, when he tries um, guessing the security guard's name, because none of them know it except for Creed, he calls him without knowing his name, but he's trying to schmooze him, of course, because it's after hours, trying to get him to come back to the office. He says, hey, hey, chief, uh, this is Jim Halpert from uh, where you work. You're the guy who sits behind the desk. You're the the African-American. You're the uh, who I got here. (laughs) He's just digging himself in a hole and... uh, Really just not doing a great job. Oh, and nobody tipped him for Christmas last year. So they've yeah. really got themselves in a bind. Yeah. And uh, Jim calls him a little later in the episode and Hank still hasn't left his house. He says, well, will you stop calling me so I can get my socks on? <laughs> I-, I can only question what kind of socks this man is wearing that makes it so <laughs> difficult and time consuming to put on because he finally shows up. After everybody has left, only to find that the cleaning ladies are the only ones there and all the cars are gone. And he just says, son of a... (laughs) Uh, Yeah, he's not happy, but uh, I guess his own fault for moving too slowly. But it's just one more strike against Jim especially, but everybody in the office. What about deleted scenes? Deleted scenes. Um, One of my favorites. Michael was walking Ryan home after he threw up in the cab. Um after the club and they stop on some beautiful steps and we're kind of zoomed in at this point and it looks, you know, pretty normal. Um, and Michael's kind of getting Ryan a pep talk. He's like, you know what? Well, y- your apartment's great. So that's, that's cool. And Ryan says, dude, this is the Metropolitan Museum of Art. <laughs> and it zooms out <laughs> and they're at the Met. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah. The museum is like a mile bigger. It's not, it's, an exaggeration, but it's enormous. Um, it's Giant not an columns. Yeah, it's, I mean, Yeah, huge. I mean, it's pretty obviously not an apartment it's, building. Yeah. <laughs> like, process of elimination <laughs> of anything this building could be, definitely not an apartment. Not apartments. Um, but Michael says, oh, I guess I can say I've been to a museum now. So he's, uh, yeah, he's not making himself look very good. <laughs> uh, when Ryan first shows up at the office in the morning, he greets Pam. Uh, who in return greets Ryan and says, hey, Ryan. He says, oh, man, it's refreshing to hear my name like that because back in New York, the secretaries call him Mr. Howard. Pam says, do you want me to start calling you Mr. Howard? He says, no, no, uh, we go so far back. We go way back. So keep calling me Ryan. She says, yeah, I will. (laughs) (laughs) She's not enthused at all. How gross. Like, it's refreshing to hear you call me by my first name. Like, okay, get over yourself. Yeah, it's almost like he's dropping hints like, I would prefer to be called Mr. Howard. Right, like, You're yeah. the only one who doesn't call me Mr. Howard. Know your place, Pam. <laughs> <laughs> so Michael and Dwight actually crash at Ryan's place for the night. And as they're all falling asleep, they all happen to be in Ryan's bed, even though that's not where Ryan told them that they should be. But they're all kind of falling asleep. And Michael keeps asking Ryan questions, including, do you ever miss us? And do you remember what color my eyes are? <laughs> Um, Ryan eventually just caves and says, look, dude, we're friends. I'm your friend. Please stop talking. (laughs) I actually like that deleted scene. I kind of wish it had been left in. I think that would have been a fun way to end the episode. Mm -hmm. Um, because it actually had to me a small level of genuineness to it because here Ryan is at the end of a bad night, coked up or whatever his drugs are. I don't know. Um, vomited in a cab. And he's just trying to sleep it off. And yeah, Ryan or Michael is pestering him a little bit, 
but he's there and is watching after him and has been trying to comfort him. And he says, Michael, you're my friend. And that's it. I think that would have been a great way to end the episode. But Mm -hmm. uh, anyways, I just have one or two smaller ones. There's a moment where Phyllis, Pam, Toby, and Oscar are sharing earbuds and watching the other Bolin girl on an iPod video, (laughs) which is a real (laughs) tiny screen. I've had that experience before, but I've never tried to have four people watching off of one device. Right. (laughs) Um, And then there's the Troy talking head. I've mentioned before how I like when we have these sort of one-off characters have their own talking heads because we never hear from them again. Troy has a talking head about, you know, it's not my fault how Ryan is acting. You can't blame me for what Ryan does. I'm not his dad. I'm his friend. And friends are there to help you have a good time and to sell you the stuff you need to have <laughs> a good time. So now we know Troy is the drug dealer. Yeah. Big episode for Ryan. Um, we've seen him take a total 180 in the last season or two so it's been really uh revealing i guess today to see um exactly how far he's gone right we 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 just have to see what's coming up next for him because uh there was a smaller thing we didn't mention there's the the fact that he's having everybody re-input their sales it through the website that seems a little bit shady to me i don't know what that's all about um then there's the drugs, and then there's the confrontation that he has between him and Jim earlier in the episode where Jim is trying to convince him, you know, like, we are good with customer service. The website is not our thing. Let's not focus on that. Let's focus on what we do well. And Ryan says, yeah, you've put a lot of thought into this. I can tell. I appreciate that. And David Wallace appreciates that, too. You were telling him all about this at the Christmas party, weren't you? And Jim says, oh, was I uh, sort of deer caught in the headlights he didn't expect this to come at him and then ryan ends that confrontation with uh just keep an eye out jim watch watch out for yourself or something like that something that vaguely sounds like a threat and he says i'm just kidding and tries to wave it off but jim hasn't completely brushed that off so we're seeing all kinds of facets of ryan's character in this episode alone and so it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward So the discussion topic for today, I talked about Toby a little bit, but um, no real evidence here either way. But what is your gut instinct? Do you think Toby actually planned on moving to Costa Rica? Or do you think that that was just an impulse decision because he was mortified about Pam? (laughs) I'm glad you asked this because (laughs) I had this in my my notes as well, because I wasn't sure either. I don't know if I think I sort of flip flop back and forth because on previous viewings, I did think it was like sort of something he had been planning and that's why I'd been so open with Pam that night and just sort of like a last two raw. Let's try one more time to win Pam over. Uh, I don't know. That, that's sort of what I pictured it as before, but tonight it does seem sort of spur of the moment. Like, Oh, that was really awkward. I better get out of here. Let's go. Right. <laughs> and Costa Rica is just like this, this fantasy location he had in his mind, which is why it's the first thing that pops up. So I, I don't know for sure, but I, I think you could make arguments either way. Um, and we'll see if that actually happens, I guess. Yeah, my gut instinct, I don't know why, is always that he just was so mortified that he had to leave the country. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's like, I I mean, he's probably looking for an out anyway. I mean, or not probably. I guess that's my, my interpretation. But, um, and you know, this Id- idyllic vision of living in Costa Rica, but I guess he never in my brain thought that that would actually happen, but he just Uh embarrassed himself publicly and okay, I I guess I'm making this happen for myself. So, um, yeah, seems like an awfully big impulse decision for a little Toby, but, uh, we'll see. (laughs) I mean, if he was, uh, embarrassed enough or mortified enough to jump the fence and run home at (laughs) 11 o'clock or so at night, then I think it could be said that he might have been embarrassed enough to just spur the moment to decide, okay, Costa Rica, I'm gone. Yeah. I, I don't know. And he is jogging home. I mean, he really is. <laughs> yeah, he, he doesn't struggle at all. It's just like, yep, uh, I got to get out of here. So he hops that fence and he's gone. <laughs> well, that's it for me, I think. Um, that brings us to the end of our official 36th episode of An American Workplace. You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or anywhere podcasts can be found. And you can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. 
You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white. The best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also, facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And then I have another podcast, Cinescope, where we talk about the movies we love and why we love them. You can find that where podcasts can be found and at thecinescopepodcast.com. And just one more plug for our Patreon this episode. Don't forget that link is also in the show notes. And... Uh, we'd love for you to check it out. There are a couple of free rewards right now. You can look at this planning document that we have and uh, we'll be hopefully posting new things over the next week, including live streams. And we're about to record our first bonus episode. Uh, We're going to be playing some office trivia with each other. So look for that. Show notes and contact information for this episode can be found at workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 36 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 37 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season four, Did I Stutter? and Job Fair. Bye!